welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Hello, how's everyone doing today? You doing well? Good to see everybody here today in person. Thank you for those that are watching with us online, our Gateway family. Um, it's so exciting that we got to do child dedications. It's one of my favorite times. And I want to say the kids actually did a great job. Everybody was calm up here. Mine were not so calm whenever we dedicated them. So I'm very impressed, but it really is a special thing that we get to do. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Exodus 11. And we're continuing our series Against All Odds. And I think it's fitting. This is one of my favorite times of the year. I'm a big sports fan, so March Madness is happening, and I actually witnessed a miracle. I went to Oral Roberts University, and Oral Roberts University won their first game in 47 years in the NCAA tournament. So I got the chance to watch, shout, lost my voice a little bit. But it's funny, I was talking to a couple of friends on the floor of the basketball uh, auditorium, it says, expect a miracle. And I was like, so do we need to expect a miracle every single time for us to win? Are we that bad? But, but no, we actually did a great job, and they played it later on today, and I, I believe Christian even beat Texas. So it's always fun for me this time of year, and talking about against all odds, I just thought it was fitting to share that as we kick off. But we are actually in the middle of talking about the story of Exodus, and it's really a story of anticipation of God freeing his children, and his people. And last week, we really dove into the first really nine plagues that God used to ultimately free the Israelites. They were against Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a type of Satan, the god of this world. And Egypt is a type of the world's system, the world's culture, and the world's way of doing things. So God is coming in, and he came in with this simple message. And it really was to let my people go. But it really hinged around this question and everything that's to follow in dealing with these passages is in Exodus 5-2 where Pharaoh says, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? Who is the Lord and why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And you need to remember that phrase because it colors the rest of it as we talk about these different conversations that we're about to have and as we navigate through these passages. And today I titled the message Marked. Marked. And I'm really going to focus on three markers that God used for the children of Israel, but the markers in our own lives that God gives us. Because here's the thing that we need to realize about Israel is that the promised land was ready for them, but they were not ready for the promised land. They had to go through a journey of transformation, and that is what God is trying to do. He's trying to establish them. So I'm going to go through three things or three markers that really God uses to shape their identity, but I believe he uses it to shape ours as well. And the first thing is this, the Passover. The Passover. One of the main things that God uses in their life, and he, I believe he uses in ours as well, is he uses specific gatherings, he uses specific feasts, fasts, uh, calendar changes for us to be able to pay attention and point to so that we remember what he's done. And this is what he did for them in Passover was 
was huge. It was profound for them. And it's, it's interesting because God changed the rhythm of their life. You have to remember, they were slaves in Egypt. All they were used to doing is fulfilling a quota. And God is saying, you are more than what you produce. You are more than the task that you are doing. And that message still speaks to us today, and that's what the Sabbath speaks. The Sabbath, they would have never had a day for, where they would have ceased from labor. They were used to working. The Sabbath is actually God's grace and God's gift to us as well as a principle that's all throughout Scripture. So he's changing the rhythms of their life, and the Passover is one of the times that he does it, and it marks them forever. Because after 400-plus years of being in bondage in Egypt, this was a new age in their history. It was an age where they were about to step out and be free. And here's one of the ways that happened. The Passover was actually supposed to establish a new calendar for them. They weren't supposed to go by the old calendar. They were even going to see time differently. God was saying, this is the beginning of a new nation. This is the beginning of a new people. And whenever we give our lives to God, that marks our, our new birth, our being born again. And that marks a spiritual birthday for every single one of us that have chosen to follow Christ in the same way. But he's saying this is a day that is new for you. You're going to experience new life. And you're going to walk this out in the new. In Exodus 11:1, 1, this is what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will strike Pharaoh and the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will let you leave this country. In fact, he will be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. And then verse 4. Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, to the oldest son of the lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. So here's what God is saying is about to happen. It's about to be the final knockout blow. As I was reading this, it made me think of Mike Tyson. If you ever saw him fight in his prime, whenever he hit, he would just simply knock the guy out and they'd just be laying there on the floor. This is what God's about to do. He's about to say, hey, I've given you a chance. We've walked through this process and you still have refused to let my people go. So I'm going to give this final blow. And remember, every single time and every single plague that he brought upon them, it was to show that the gods of Egypt were not really gods at all. And here's who God is targeting here with this plague. He's targeting Pharaoh, who was deemed to be a god. And he's also targeting the goddess Isis, who was supposed to be the protector of childbirth. And in the same way, God comes against the idols that may be in our hearts, and they may be in our lives, in order to remove them so that we might focus on him and serve him. But one of the questions that I get, and even one of the questions I had as I was wrestling through these passages is there's times where it said Pharaoh hardened his heart, and there's other times where it said God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So the question is, which one was it? Was it Pharaoh or was it God? And here's the answer. The answer is yes. I know, I'm, I'm just going to break things down for you and make them super clear for you. The answer is yes. But hasn't God given us free will? Yes, he has. We have to choose. But there was never a time in the passages where you read that God actually usurped Pharaoh's will. Here's what I believe happened. God was testing him to this, to this point. The number 10 in, all throughout scriptures 
uh, it means testing. They were tested 10 times in the wilderness. There's 10 tests through the New Testament as well. So testing is a number 10. So he finally gets to this final test to say, hey, he'll finally let you go. But he's letting go of his mercy. He's actually removing his compassion and say, okay, this is the path that you want to take. Romans 1 actually talks about this. He'll remove himself from the equation and say, that, this means you're going to walk with a hard heart. I'm not going to try to step in and shift your heart at this time. So Pharaoh actually continued to walk down the path that his heart desired. So it's important, but, but why the firstborn? Exodus 4, verse 22 and 23 says this. Then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. Think about that for a second. From the very beginning, God told Pharaoh what would happen. He's like, if you don't let my people go, this is the end result. And he said, ultimately, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? Here would have been a good reason why, but Pharaoh's heart was so hard. Now, the firstborn carries a different connotation than we may have in America today. The firstborn is, is mine, is mentioned 16 times in the Bible. And here's why the, the firstborn was important, because they were the ones who were the carriers of the inheritance for the family. They actually got a double portion of everything that was given after the father passed away and went to the firstborn son. So it was important to be the firstborn, which is why whenever it talks about Jacob and Esau, it says Esau despised his birthright and ultimately ended up giving it to Jacob, and Jacob ended up being blessed. So here's what Pharaoh's saying to God in these moments. He's saying, I will not release your firstborn, and you will never be able to walk him into the inheritance that you have for him. This is how he's defying and coming against God and rebelling against him. Now, some of us may say that sounds a little bit mean, that sounds a little bit cruel of God to do. But here's the reality. If someone were to take one of your children, I know human trafficking is it's terrible, it's a scourge on America, it's a scourge on the world. And I know it's happening all over, but if someone were to take your child, what means would you use to get your child back? See all the mothers nodding their head in here. They would use any means necessary. And we, we live in Texas, so I know what means most people would use. <laughs> but they would use any means necessary. And why, though? Here's why. Because they loved them. Because you love them. And you would do anything to keep them from harm. But Here's the truth. Someone, because of your love, would actually experience their wrath if they came against your family or someone you love, right? They would experience your wrath because of your love. So many times we think love and wrath are actually incompatible, and they're not. So when we see the wrath of God, it makes us wrestle. It's like, there's no way God is love. Yes, God is love. But God also has wrath, and I want to say this too. Wrath is actually birthed out of love. Here's the reason why God hates sin. Here's the reason why God hates evil. It's because it harms the people that he loves. It harms people and it hurts people. So you see his wrath come against that, and that's what's happening here. He wants them to be freed. He wants them to be out of bondage. It's not irrational when God is giving out his wrath. It's actually very purposeful. But he's also very loving all the way through it. Here's what Romans 2.5 says. But in accordance... In accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself 
Think about that for yourself. Wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God is a judge, and he's laid it out. He's even sent his son so you don't have to experience his wrath. But we store it up for ourselves, and we decide to rebel and walk away from him, and that's what's happening in this passage. But God wanted to rescue his people from, from bondage, but he was about to do it in a different way. To all the firstborn in all of Egypt would be killed. Just so you know, Israel was in Egypt at the time. They were not exempt. And before you say, wait one second, I want to say, they were not exempt. They had to do something on their own part. They actually had to walk this out by faith to experience God's grace. They were saved the same way we're saved. It's by grace through faith, not of works. Exodus 12, 7 tells us this. It says, they are to take some of the blood of the lamb, that is, and smear it on the sides and on the top of the doorframe of the houses where they eat the animal. So the Passover is when God passed over them because there was the blood of a spotless lamb that was on the doorpost. It said the angel of death will see that blood and will pass over it. But I want to say something. The blood had to be applied in order for them to not experience death. It had to be applied to their lives for them to be able to walk this out in freedom. This word is a biblical word, and you can tell your friends for the rest of the day you learn a Greek word. This word is propitiation. Propitiation, it really means the removal of God's wrath. It means God has removed his wrath toward the sin, and he's removed his wrath towards the sinner. That's what propitiation means, and that's what's happening in this moment. He's saying, I will pass over you if I see the blood applied. Now, I have an iPhone. If you don't have an iPhone, you have an Android. Hey, even if you have a BlackBerry, I'm not here to judge you, okay? That's not what I'm here for. But I have an iPhone. I'm kind of stuck in their ecosystem, so I've used it. But they came out with a feature, and other phones may have it, so you don't have to let me know if it does. But they came out with this feature that allowed you to share your password. It was the most awesome thing when it came to Wi-Fi. If you went to someone's house and you knew that they would be able to share the password, you don't have to go to the modem. I don't know if you remember this. Have to go to the modem, look at the back of it, and it was like X, N, Y, capital N, F, exclamation point, at sign, whatever it was. It was a little bit frustrating or you had to hand them the piece of paper, whatever it is. But this is one of my favorite features because I could store as many Wi-Fi passwords on my phone as possible, and I didn't have to actually know or remember any of them. So sharing works when it comes to passwords. But I want to say this, and I have this illustration, because sharing doesn't work when it comes to the blood being applied to your life. You don't get in to heaven, or you don't get to the Father, except by having the blood of Jesus applied to your own life. We all need to be forgiven. We all need to be healed. We all need to be made whole. And you don't get in because of your parents. You don't get in because of your spouse. You only get in by the blood of Jesus that applies to your life when you receive his salvation and you receive his grace. So Passover marked them. Exodus 13, 1 through 3, there was another step they had to do, especially when they walked into the promised land. And I'm going to start in verse 2. It said, consecrate to me, this is the Lord speaking, all the firstborn. Remember, here it is again. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both the man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by my strength of hand, the Lord, by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. So what's happening here? To consecrate means to set aside something ordinary for a sacred or holy purpose. 
to set aside something ordinary for a sacred or holy purpose. So he's saying, consecrate to me the firstborns. We're supposed to be consecrated, set aside for the purposes of God. Now leaven, when it gets in bread, is actually what makes bread rise. So when you see the big fluffy biscuits that are delicious, it's because leaven has caused it to rise. But God is saying to them in this moment, hey, you're going to have a feast. Remember, he's marking, he's changing their times, he's changing their rhythms. He's like, there's going to be a feast, and it's going to be a feast of unleavened bread. Leaven actually represents impurity. So he's going to say, remember, I made you pure. You're going to eat unleavened bread after the Passover because I want you to walk in purity. And it was going to remind them that they left Israel so fast that it didn't even have time for the bread to rise and the leaven to rise within the bread. Exodus 13, 7 and 8, continue. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be even seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. So he's saying, remove it totally, be pure. And you shall tell your son in that day, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. We talked about it last week. Same thing today. We're supposed to tell our story of what God has done in us and through us. But the Passover for us illustrates this. It illustrates that God, through Jesus, is our Passover lamb. He's the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world for our sins so that we can have forgiveness and once again have right relationship with God. And through his death, we can now experience the life that he intended for us to have. And 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that. It says, get rid of the old yeast. Remember, we're talking about leaven. By removing the wicked person or wickedness from among you, then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. So God is calling you pure. He's calling you righteous. But here's why. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So in the same way the Passover marked their lives and gave them a new calendar and a new way of living, whenever we receive the Passover lamb, that is Jesus, we are saved and made whole and are walking out in the new. So that's the first thing that marked them, the Passover. Here's the second thing, the cloud. The cloud. Now it sounds weird, but I'll explain it. So now we get to the point where Pharaoh and Moses are talking once again, and this is after the Passover had happened and the firstborn were killed. And it says this in verse 31 of Exodus 12. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you said, and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. But Pharaoh finally realized who was truly God. Verse 36, and the Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites and gave, they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped or plundered the Egyptians of their wealth. So think about this for a second. After what had happened, the final plague and the final blow that came, he's saying to them, get out. I'm done. I finally realized I'm not a God. There is one true God. I'm not him. I know who the Lord is now. I'm very clear. He finally had hit his heart at least a little bit. And he was saying, I want nothing more to do with you. Get out. Into the point where even the Egyptians said, we will pay you to leave. We just want you to go. We just want you to get out. And it said they plundered. The Egyptians. Now, there, if you read through the passage, it says there are about 600,000 of them, 600,000 men that leave, besides women and children. So there could be upwards of 2 million people 
that Moses is now leading out into the wilderness. But remember, if you read this passage, these passages, he hasn't told them exactly where they're going they, or when they're going even as well. So they're walking out in this journey and there's, there's a mixed multitude, so there's Gentiles even with them during that time, which is a picture of Gentiles being added through Jesus. But God's grace wasn't simply content to let them free. He said, I want to know you personally and intimately. So here's what he does. In Exodus 13, here's where we see the cloud, verse 17 through 22. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not leave them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army, army ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. I want to stop right now and pause for a second. This is Joseph saying 400 years before, I know God is faithful. He'll surely come to help you. Think of the faith that Joseph had after all that he went through. He knew that God would show up in this moment because God is faithful even when we are faithless. He's faithful to fulfill his promises. Verse 20, so it says, The Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar, pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. So the entire time they're in the wilderness, they're being led by the pillar of cloud, which at night became a pillar of fire. So all they had to do whenever they were freed was follow the cloud. So what does the cloud represent? It represented God's presence. It said to them and it said to others that God is with us. He wants to know us personally. He wants to walk with us. He's not going to abandon us after he frees us. God's still going to walk with us. And here's the crazy part, though. You would think since they had a visible representation of God's presence being with them, that they would never murmur, they would never complain, and they would never fight back against God. But that obviously isn't the case if you read their story. Even with that, they complain against them all the time. Hey, we want water, we want bread, we want meat. When are you going to provide? What are you doing up there, God? They're frustrated. Even though they had a visible representation of God. And so many times it's like, well, if I could just see God, then I'd be good. They saw visible, visible representation of God's presence being with them every day. And this still happened. But also I want us to notice something about this. He didn't take them the shortest or quickest route into the promised land. This is very interesting to me as I read it because I want quick. <laughs> if you have a promise for me, let's do this. Get me in there as fast as you possibly can, God. What's, what's happening here? Here's what I want to say. And I said the last couple of weeks because I feel like we need to get it. God's pace is kind towards us. God's pace of transformation, God's pace of change is kind. They had just come out of slavery. They had just been enslaved. They had taskmasters already. What they needed was a father who loved them and a God who loved them. 
So God is guiding them gently and kindly to the place where it's supposed to be. Because God didn't lead his people the easy way, but he'll always lead us the best way. And that's why we have to come to him and trust him. Because God knew they were free, but they were not yet mature. The people ultimately weren't battle-tested. And I want to say this. There are some battles that you and I are not ready to fight yet. And God won't send you into the battle if he knows you're going to lose. You may say, okay, how does this play out in the New Testament? There's a passage where Jesus is actually on the Mount of Transfiguration, and down below, at the bottom of the mountain, his disciples are trying to cast out a demon, but they can't cast it out. So Jesus comes back down from the mountain. They, the Father comes to him and says, hey, they couldn't cast it out. They're supposed to be your disciples. They're supposed to be like you. Why can't they do it? They don't have any power. And Jesus is like, okay, goodness gracious, bring them to me. That's my interpretation of what happened. <laughs> but he says, oh, faithless generation. But afterwards, after Jesus cast the demon out, the disciples, it says, go to him privately. It's in Mark 9 if you want the reference for later. And they ask him, why, why couldn't we cast this demon out? And he actually said, this kind can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. Here's what he was saying. You're actually not prayed up enough in order to be able to cast and win this battle. But I imagine after that, the disciples prayed and they were growing in that. But there was a battle that they were not able to win and Jesus comes in and casts the demon out and he explains to them why. Just because God's not bringing you to the battle doesn't mean he's not preparing you for the battle. He's preparing you and he's shaping you and transforming you into the people who can step in to his promise and actually have the character and fortitude to sustain it. So you may be here thinking, it would be easy to have a cloud to lead and guide me. It would be easy to have a cloud when it comes to decisions I need to make about which job to choose, about which spouse that you want me to marry. Maybe even pray just God slide a cloud right over that man or woman right now so I can just go straight up to him and make it very simple. If I simply had a cloud, but I want to tell you something. God actually has something much better for every single one of us. He gave us the indwelling of himself to lead us and to guide us every single day. So while they had a cloud to follow, we have a God that we can follow, we can speak to, and still speaks to us every single day of our lives. But this is how we're supposed to live. To live in a way that's, God, what do you want for me today? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to encourage? Is there a text, practically, is there a text message that I need to send? Is there someone I need to call? I'm probably going to text you, but. <laughs> sorry, I'm wired, I'm wired differently. But God wants to lead us this way every single day. Whenever I was at Gateway DFW, we had something called Prophetic Presbytery. I hope to bring it here one day. And what that is, is there were candidates that were chosen that were leaders throughout the church. And there were three different presbyters that came in and prophesied over them. And we were chosen one night. And one of the words that I remember very vividly, and it was interesting as we, I was thinking through this passage and praying about uh, something to illustrate this. Um, and the word that was given to me was, you're going to be offered a shortcut soon. But that's not the route that you're supposed to go, and that's not the route that you're supposed to take. And I want you to submit that to leadership so they'll be the ones who will actually tell you it was a shortcut. At this time, I was working in the marketplace, but I had a heart for ministry. So about two months later, a pastor, friend of ours, who's still a great friend, great church, asked to have lunch with me. We went to Cheesecake Factory, so it took me about 15 minutes to figure out what I wanted from the massive menu. 
And he, we began talking, and he basically, right then and there, he's like, hey, I know you have a heart for young adult ministry. Why don't you come here, get some experience, and then we'll actually send you back to Gateway afterwards. And I'm like, this is great. This has been on my heart. It hasn't happened another way, but this could be the opportunity that I've been waiting for. But I actually went back, and I remember this word as I was talking to my wife. She's like, Ethan, this could be a shortcut. I'm like, no, this can't be a shortcut. This is awesome. What are you talking about? This is what I've wanted. They're like, hey, this is a shortcut. So I went and talked to my pastors at the time, and they actually said, Ethan, this is the shortcut. And so I didn't end up saying yes to that job opportunity, as wonderful as it was, because God was leading me in a different direction. And had I gone that direction, who knows the delay in timing that would have happened, because God already had a place for me, but I had to be patient in order to be able to step into that place and not follow the shortcuts, but ultimately follow his word. So it's important for us to follow the cloud. That's the second way he marked them. And here's the third way that he marked them, and that's the Red Sea. The Red Sea. Exodus 14, 2-4. This is God speaking. He said, order the Israelites to turn back and camp at camp by pi Heharoth. I tried. Between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Baal Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. Notice there's pursuit. I have, plan I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. So God actually sends them back the way that they had just come. Remember when we were talking about following the cloud? And now they're, it looks like they're confused. The passage says it looked like they were bewildered. Here's what this passage tells me and this verse tells me. Is that Pharaoh was still keeping tabs on them. In the same way, even when God frees you, you should know that Satan still wants to pull you back into bondage. So many times we get confused and we're wondering what's happening. You have an enemy that would love for you to be in bondage. And he steps in in the middle of the confusion, in the middle of the times we're trying to figure out why, speaks a lie that then takes us into bondage and creates a stronghold so we stay there. But it's the truth of God and the truth of God's word that ultimately sets us free. So he was keeping tabs on them, but God made what looked like a trap and ultimately would be an ambush because he wanted to get glory out of this. As the Egyptians began bearing down on them. He got his best chariots. They were the strongest military power at that time. And God's about to display his glory once again. But you get to see the children of Israel's side, which sometimes I believe is our side, whenever we see things that seem to be so big and insurmountable. In Exodus 14, verse 10, it says this, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Think, think about this. This has been a week. And now they're experiencing a little bit of Pharaoh coming back after them. Is this not what we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, 
Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. That should be encouragement for every single one of us. But they were distorting their past. They were distorting how good they had it. And here's why. Because they were discouraged. And when, you walk, when you're walking in discouragement, discouragement always distorts reality. They weren't seeing clearly. They had just seen God move with the plagues, and yet they're stepping out here in something that was new and something that was unknown and something that wasn't comfortable And yet they said it could have been better for us if we had just stayed. But this is the first time, or one of the first times, you actually see Moses step step up and be courageous and be bold. And I love it. I love seeing his growth and I love seeing his maturation because that means I can grow and mature at the same time. And he gave three commands. He said, do not be afraid, so fear not because God is on your side. He told him to stand still. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is stand still. And here's here's the thing, and we're going to read a passage later, which I which is why I believe he's actually not telling them to stand still physically, like, to stand there. He's telling them on the inside, stand still, be still. You're panicking. You're confused. You're worried. You're anxious. Stand still. Don't fall into despair. Don't fall down in despair. Don't, we're not going to run. We're not going to run and retreat in fear. We're not going to be impatient and just go forward because the Red Sea's there. It looks like we're trapped, but God has a plan so we can trust him in it. Be at peace. Hold on to your peace. And then he says, you shall see the salvation of the Lord because God is going to fight for you. Some of us try to fight because we never had anyone fight for us. We've grown up in a way and our experience have told us if something's going to happen, I'm going to have to fight for myself. I'm going to have to do it by myself. But you have a heavenly father who desires to fight for you. He fights for his people. Exodus 14, we're going to continue reading. I know it's a lot of scripture. I never apologize for that. It's it's always great for us to consume a lot. I'm trying to show you where I'm actually getting it from, and you can tell that I'm not just making stuff up when I stand up here. Exodus 14, verse 15 and 16 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Stand still, get moving. This is why I believe it was on the inside and God saying, actually, they need to also move. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Verse 18 and 19, when my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. So the same presence of God that was there from the beginning that guided them moved to the back and actually began to guard them. The same presence that guides us is also the same presence that guards us. We can trust in him to protect us. We can trust in him to guard us. But he tells them to get moving. You're praying, you're crying out, but there's also action that we need to take. There's God's part and then there's our part. God will always do his part, but many times he's actually waiting for us to step out and do ours. But this story of the Red, the Red Sea, which is why I said that, and which is why this marked them, is because this actually represents the Israelites' baptism. 
This represented the Israelites' baptism. And I read one commentary, I loved it, and he said the Egyptians couldn't pass through the sea because they had never first been covered by the blood. They had never been covered by the blood. But this represents baptism. So they, God sends a wind after he raises the rod, and it splits the sea, and they actually walk through the sea on dry ground. Then Pharaoh's army went after them, and then he caused the, the, the sea to collapse on them and killed all of them so the Israelites were able to see all the Egyptians who had drowned. He said, you'll never see them again. And then they were able to go forward in strength. But in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says this to us. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. And the cloud... And in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. See, baptism is important. You can see the progression. It's the same for us. We are saved first by the blood of Jesus, but he also says, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. It's something that we all need to go through, even to the point where Jesus did it. He actually didn't do ministry before he was secure in his identity and was baptized. And it needs to be the same for us. If you've never been baptized or you made a commitment when you were younger and you haven't necessarily been baptized again after you made a commitment and rededicated your life, the week after Easter we'll actually be doing baptisms here. But baptisms are an outward expression of an inward transformation. It's, it's, a, it's what God has done in your life and you're saying to the world that I'm following him. Romans 6, 3-4 says this about baptism. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. See, baptism, whenever we go under the water, that's signifying that we are dead to ourselves. But it speaks, it proclaims loudly this as well. It speaks to God that I am yours and I belong to you. It speaks to the world that I'm no longer a part of you anymore. I am his. It speaks to the enemy that you are cut off and I'm never following you again. And it speaks to yourself, I'm dead and God is calling me right now to walk in the new that he has for me. See, baptism is for every single one of us and it's not just a symbol. It's something that God wants to do in all of our lives. I remember in December 2015, I went to Israel, and I was leading a young adult trip there. And one, one of the times we went to the Jordan River, and we, were, we had the opportunity to be baptized, or, and I had the opportunity as a pastor to baptize others. And I decided that I was going to go, and I was going to be baptized uh, again for the second time, just because I wanted to be baptized where Jesus was. And I wish I could say to you that there was like the Holy Spirit came upon me in the form of a dove. But that didn't happen. The water was actually freezing. So I couldn't feel my legs after I got back out. But I just remember the journey that God was taking me on at that time. I actually did not know what was ahead. But for me, I felt like there was a new start. There was something refreshing that God wanted me to do. And as I went back down and I came back up, I felt really the best way to explain it is it's brand new. But then I also got the chance to baptize others. And I began to see every single one of them as they were coming down, the tears that were streaming down their face. As they were saying, God 
I am yours. I'm turning away from my ways, and I want to live in the new life that you have for me. There are moments that I will never forget, and there are moments that are precious because it's a work that only God can do. Freedom is a, a work that God does as we come to him and trust him to continue to lead us and guide us to be the people that he's called for us to be. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. At the end of every service, we want to give you a chance to respond. Some of you would say, I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've known family, I've had friends, I've been in church all my life, but I've never truly accepted him. And today is the day that you can say yes. You can say yes to him and be purified, be made whole, be made righteous in the sight of God. And we want to be able to walk alongside you. Some of you today, you may say, hey, I need to, I need to follow the cloud. I need to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want to come into alignment with what God has for me, what God has for my life. Some of you may say, hey, I, I need to be baptized. But no matter where you are, God wants to speak to us today. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? Is he saying you need to trust him? Is he preparing you and giving you strength for the what's ahead? Wherever you are right now, we can make a decision, even for those that are watching online. No matter when you're watching this, God wants to speak to every single one of us, and we can make the simple choice to say yes to following him. And I want to lead us in a prayer real quick. And if you are saying yes to God, saying yes that I want to follow him, or yes I want to give him my life, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, I thank you that you sent your son to be my Passover lamb. His blood was shed for me. He was buried and he was raised three days later. And I ask Jesus today to give me new life, to make me whole. And I choose to follow him. I surrender my life to you today, Lord, and follow after you. In Jesus' name, you can leave your head bowed. I'm going to pray for every single person. But if you prayed that prayer, whether here in person or online, we want to walk alongside you. You can text the word PURPOSE to 94000 or even come up here afterwards when we'll have a prayer team here. We want to pray with you. We want to walk this journey. The journey of faith is never meant to be walked alone. So let us walk alongside you as you follow God. But here in a moment, I'm going to pray for all of us, and we're going to afterwards stand up and we're going to worship God once again because of what he's done for us, that he set us free, that he's made us whole, that he's given us life. So, Father, I thank you for every single person here. I pray right now that you would overwhelm them with your richest blessings, that they would see your hand move in their life, that you would give them power and strength to walk in the new. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Let's all stand together. joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.